every single room you walk into, you should make a decision to be the hardest person, the hardest working person in that room. And if you do that, every single time you step in a room, you'll do big stuff. But you also have to keep step. You have to keep stepping in bigger rooms. This is the Power Now Podcast. I am your host, Corey Eugene O'Connor. In this podcast, we talk about what is power or not. Power or not is a term used in Olympic weightlifting to describe a power snatch or a power clean. If you catch it above the hips, then it's called power. If it's caught below, then it's called not or a full lift. So in this podcast, we talk about that gray area. What is in between or what is that topic of discussion? And so hope you guys enjoy it. If you guys are driving a long commute to work, you guys are drinking a coffee in the morning, just want something in the background as you do stuff, just sit down and enjoy and let's get cracking. Welcome back to another episode of Power Not Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Yuji. Today's guest, we have the one, the only, Brittany Rucker. She doesn't need an introduction. I'm sure you guys heard her and heard about her in every single podcast that I have. She is my weightlifting coach. <laughs> she is a um, USAW international weightlifting coach. She is the head coach and owner of Bear Barbell. And how are you doing today, Brittany? I'm good. Uh, good. Just hanging out. I'm super excited to finally uh, be worthy enough to get on your podcast. Uh, get out of here. I was trying to find a good time <laughs> to talk. And I think this will be a great one because uh, for the, those of you guys who are listening, this one is going to be strictly about uh, programming, coaching, stuff like that. We're getting to the weeds really in depth with it. And we have the professional here. And I get to ask personal questions about coaching since I'm a remote athlete. But real quick and short, brief uh, little message, just give a little background on your coaching history. Uh, okay, so um, I actually started coaching in, in let me think, 20, uh, 2011 um, as a CrossFit coach. So I was a medic at the time. For those of you who don't know, I was a paramedic for nine years. Cool thing is you have a lot of time off. So I would work two days off for four days which meant I had a lot of downtime. So I got into CrossFit uh, shortly after getting into CrossFit, I uh, kind of got pushed into a coaching role. Uh, the owner of the gym that I was at who I'm forever thankful for his name, uh, John Austin MNT still owns a CrossFit gym here in town. Kind of told me like, Hey, like I need you to go do this. Like you're going to be a coach and you don't realize it. So I coached CrossFit for a while, uh, realized weightlifting was a sport. And I was like, dude, I don't have to row or run or do a wall wall. Like, yeah, I'm in. Cause I love snatching cleaner jiggers. My favorite. And so got into weightlifting. The gym that I was at didn't have a weightlifting program. So originally the plan was for me to get my level one startup program there. Took my level one, realized I knew even less than I thought I did. So found a weightlifting gym in town, ended up being a weightlifter there, coached CrossFit there, ended up leaving with a friend. We started a gym in 2016. Um, 2018, the gym was getting big enough that I was able to leave, quit my job as a medic, just coached. Uh, and then 2020 is when I started bear. And I think I've done probably seven or eight podcasts about all that happened, oh, yeah. um, but I've been coaching weightlifting since about 2016. So coming up on uh, seven, eight years. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't realize how fast time flies because I feel like we just started, you know, bear or just weightlifting in, gen- weightlifting in general kind of feels still new. Right. But then like you've learned and went through one hell of a path throughout the entire time as well yeah yeah it's been it yeah you're right it doesn't feel like that long i mean it's bears over three and a three and a half, half years old and it's like what that's crazy yeah <laughs> and then um let's talk about i guess um 
any of your like uh, anybody that was coached by you, like your lineage, like who did you have under like you or underneath bringing up into weightlifting? Yeah, well, so I mean, I think more like when I think about who kind of taught me, which is kind of where it starts. So the first coach I had, a lot of coaches have like someone directly they can trace back their knowledge base from. And I kind of weirdly don't. So the first coach I ever had was actually from Miami originally. And she was taught by the Cuban national coach. Can't remember his name. Medina and I actually talked about him in Cuba, ironically, when we were there for the Olympic qualifier. Um, and so kind of had that influence. And then my second coach was actually a resident at the OTC with Dragmir and Zygmunt. So that's also very different influences. And then my, I would say more recent, longer term coach was actually a really high level CrossFit Games uh, athlete. So strangely enough, the three coaches that kind of coached me for the longest time were actually higher level athletes that also just happened to be coaches. Um, and then, I mean, I would say as far as influence, I've always done a really good job of just like not having an ego when I go on a lot of these Team USA trips, especially at the beginning. I remember when I went to Columbia, uh, I first time I had ever really met Travis Mash, and I was like, "Hey, like, can we talk about stuff?" And he was like, "Yeah, sit down." I was like, yeah. "Oh my god!" And then so I just like picked his brain. So there's so many coaches that I coach have coached alongside with, but I was such a rookie coming into it. I mean, I got my national coaching certification in 2020 and i got my international in 21 um so i like moved through i guess you would say the ranks very quickly Mm -hmm. and i still felt like definitely imposter syndrome the first time i got on an international flight so i just like asked a lot of people and then i would say especially over the last couple years um i'm always like learning i'm always reading um podcasts books i think one of the biggest mistakes a lot of coaches make is think they know everything. Yes. And you just get closed off and you're like, no, like this is the way to do it. And it's like, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do things. And sometimes you learn things and you're like, yeah, that wasn't it. And then sometimes you pick something up. I was in the training hall with Trip Morris, Hampstead, mm-hmm. um, the day after the kids competed. And I had Mario doing clean jerks. But the way I had learned them, it was a full clean into a jerk. Mm. And Trip goes, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, it's a clean jerk. And he was like, no, it's not. And he was like, Ham, do a clean jerk. And Ham did a power clean to a jerk. And I was like, I like that a lot better. Ah, yeah. So it's just little stuff like that. Like, I feel like you always just kind of have to be open to learning. Exactly. I feel like, um, well, just as a coach in the field in general, they always say there's requirements for certain certifications to get continuing ed. And some jobs will actually pay you to do continuing education to still learn. Because- right that you have to have that open mind. Otherwise you'll be in that stuck in that old ways where like one way is the right way. And this is the only way. And obviously they're all different countries. Like, you know, talking about the Soviet programming over there, the Bulgarian style, Japanese, Chinese, whatever it is, they do may do stuff that's like unorthodox or don't seem right. But like, at least they have, you know, there's more than one way to do the right thing. Right. As far as like the yeah. Olympic lifts. Yeah, one of the craziest things I would say that I kind of picked up, I remember my first Junior Pan Ams was in Colombia. And in Mario's session, one of the Colombian coaches, the athlete was in the bottom of like a snatch uh, in the overhead squat. And the coach walked up behind him and grabbed the barbell and was like shaking it and moving it around. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> like, what is he doing? Like, it's like he was trying to knock him over. Yeah. And the weird thing is when you're in the back, um, they warm up really fast. 
So you feel like you're like, why am I ahead of everyone? Like yeah. why? And I think I remember at Junior Pan Ams, Mart at in Peru, the recent one, we were like nine out, and Mario had like three warm ups left, and this other kid, I think it was a Colombian kid who was warming up or opening at the same number, hadn't even touched an empty bar yet. Oh my gosh! And Mario was like, "We're behind or we're early." I was like, "Worry about yourself. We're fine." And then you look over, and it's like. 70 80 90 100 and you're like what is going on uh so that's crazy but yeah it's like it's very different um based off of where you are in the world yeah and like that could be work that could is what they're used to what if they train like that at home where they just take really fast sets or they don't want to waste any time or they have some type of like method behind the madness which is really interesting and sometimes like me and you can't comprehend that and we're like what is going on but um I mean, that's what it is. And that's what's interesting about this sport because, like, we all have the same fundamentals of how we move the bar. It's just, like, the method behind it could be totally different. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that kind of leads into uh, my next question about the USAW model. Obviously, I did my level one. I'm sure you got all types of – I don't even know what you had. You <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's only the two courses. After you get your one and two, there's not there's not a lot after yeah, that. Yeah, I was curious. So, like, once you become, like, a, like a Team USA or, like, an international – one, is there a certain like certification or requirements that you have to do? Or is it that you just have no. to have the athlete and then you're now official? Yeah, that's it. So, I mean, essentially your level one, as you know, is like the course and the exam. And then a level two is a course and the exam. Your level three is your national, which means you have to get so many athletes to like, it's like four to finals or two to senior nationals. You have to have been their coach of record for 12 months. Like there's a whole, and I'm actually on the coaching commission through USA Weightlifting. So I like have some say and influence in like how that hierarchy goes. Oh, okay. um, and then uh, international is like even more complicated. I think I got my international um, Mario competed at junior worlds and then Brianna and Anna competed at youth worlds and medaled. Like it's like this thing where you just like pull points certain places, but you, the point is you have to develop athletes to a certain level. Um, so yeah, but after you get your level two, there's no more uh, like formal education. It's just like, okay, yeah, you're good. Okay. Now that makes sense. I was just, I didn't know if there was like certain, yeah. Cause I have no idea. And I know you mentioned yeah. like getting like the level, you know, level three and stuff like that. So, um, so far as like the USAW model, um, how would you explain how they kind of do it as a whole? Um, I mean, so the way they teach it and keep in mind, I took my level one in got oh, 2014. Um, and I actually, tried to apply to be an instructor um because i had a lot of coaches uh not a lot a couple coaches that were like hey you really should be an instructor to teach these courses i actually reached out and tried and they're like oh we already have too many coaches and there are too many instructors in texas okay whatever um but from what i remember the traditional is you build for two weeks and then there's i think they call it super compensation i don't i've never used that term um and you like it's like your third week is a deload and then you yeah. push mm -hmm. on the fourth week. And I will say I did that for a while just because I didn't know anything else. And then I think being an athlete also just gives me so much perspective um, on like what feels good, what doesn't. Like I'm a very intermediate level athlete, like qualifying for series is, you know, I cannot train for six months and probably qualify for series. But um, I don't know if I could train at least with my life right now for a year and make finals something like that weird sticking spot that a lot of athletes are yeah um so for me i more kind of modified it a couple of years ago where 
I more have people push for three weeks, um, as you know. And so you more, so like the term like undulating is where you vary your volume through the week. So, I mean, we can get more into that later, but like how the days are structured when I program, but if the volume fluctuates enough and the intensity through the week, you can really kind of push for three weeks into a deload and a heavy. I had a lot of athletes that were like, well, the first week's kind of, kind of getting my groove. And the second week, they really get a good grasp on it. And if you pull off on the third week, it's kind of like you, they, you're taking that like groove away from them that they found. Yeah, absolutely. And then you just hop back into a heavy week and it's like, well, now they're all messed up again. Um, yeah. So I'm sure it obviously works, but I think as a, like I was saying, like as a coach, you also have to be open to like, you know what, I don't really dig this. So let's try this instead. And it's worked really well for me to just kind of like modify it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think it's uh, the USAW model is supposed to basically is a gradual increase. So like it's a mm -hmm. linear progression where it's like 70% week one, 75 week two, then you go back down to like 65 on week three, yeah. but then you ramp back up on week four, like 80%. And then right. basically that fifth week, that new cycle that comes in on the fifth week would be like where someone would start out on that second week. Right. So yeah. it's, it's like that climbing model. It's a slow, gradual peak, but like I think right. you'd have to be like really consistent and like really tapered into that that model to to see those like uh, progression. And like I said, like I think like life happens. Like you know, as me and you know, we're busy people. Right. Maybe that's not the best solution for everyone. Yeah, and that's it's just hard. I think for for a lot of athletes sometimes, um, like to try to wrap your head around a twenty week cycle. Yeah. Like sometimes like things happen and sometimes like you end up having to fly to, I don't know, Germany for a week and you don't train. And that might, if I'm on a 20 week cycle, like that whole thing is gone. Yeah. But instead, if I can just shove a week back, modify it, pull it back, whatever, um, being able to pivot and adjust is such like an underrated skill as a coach. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, it's helped especially I was just talking about my last podcast with uh, some of the guys and doing the AO2 recap. Some of them had like, you know, Daniel had only like this amount of weeks to uh, to to prep, so to say. And if you think about a four week prep, right. it's not really a prep, but he's been prepping this entire time. Same for myself. Like I didn't really yep. know what the hell was going on because I was busy. But then I had I was still lifting throughout the entire time. But you still had me doing like heavy stuff, light stuff, whatever. So when I rolled back into like a four week prep or just getting ready, I felt like I was still peaked or like my numbers were about the same as I was, you know, prior right right no for sure yeah it's just being able to adjust on the fly is like so important um and like i would say if you're not a full-time athlete you just have to be able to adjust like if they're not paying their bills doing this you can't expect this to be like black and white doesn't change like you're just going to set people up for failure and they're not going to feel successful Yes, exactly. That makes sense. And typically, uh, as far as uh, programming wise, like how far out cycles do you do? Like obviously it's like four week cycles, but like, do you have like an entire like 12 week block of things or how does that work for you? Um, no. And it's funny you ask, cause I have people that will like, they'll be doing week one. And so I write, as you know, like programming a week at a time. Um, it is always four week blocks. Sometimes I have to modify and like throw in a transition week or change stuff a little based off of when a meet is. But I usually don't concretely know what's going to happen um, even for like next week. Like I have an idea. Like let's say someone on Monday has like a five rep max back squat. They're going to be like, all right, am I retesting this and building off of it next week? Or am I going to have percentage work? And I'll be like, I don't know. I'm like, what do you mean? Like I, And I think it comes from so many years of being a paramedic. Um, 
I do so much on the fly and it works because sometimes like, you know, people kill themselves. For example, I was just running a cycle and, um, it was like a three rep max eccentric back squat on Monday. And then there's a five by five on Friday at a percentage. And that Friday I watched Bryn cause she had done 122 for her three rep eccentric. And then she did a five by five at 117. And this was week one. And like, she's mm. a gritty bitch. So she got it done. <laughs> but I was watching her and I was like, you overshot the stimulus fee. Like this is, this shouldn't be this bad on Monday. Um, so like, it's also important to just like watch people and adjust week to week. So no, I normally pretty much just take things like one block at a time. Um, yeah. I do spend a, a lot of time when I sit down and write that first week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, I just pay attention to videos, how people are moving in person. I watch them, what they're saying, how their body's feeling. And then I write the next week. Okay. So I kind of just take it week by week. There are some athletes I do have to have longer plans for. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I kind of try to just be as flexible as possible and it's always worked. So I've never felt the need to like sit down and ride out a whole one year macro cycle for someone. Like, I don't know. That seems like a lot. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I remember I was listening to a podcast with Weightlifting House and Danny Camargo, and he mentioned that when he was uh, working with Maddie at the time, you know, constantly changing things, stuff like that, just kind of adjusting on the fly for her. And uh, one of my buddies, uh, Andrew Stagelman, he's out in uh, Tennessee, and um, he's kind of the same way. He goes like more a heavy, like Bulgarian style, because that's Mm -hmm. just kind of his method. But uh, if he needs to draw back, then he'll draw back depending on how they feel. But basically, he's in tune with his athletes, and then he's just constantly changing and modifying on a week-to-week basis. So, like, that makes yeah. sense. I feel like that's the smartest way in order for people on their personal goals is just stay in tune with your athletes and, know, like, know how they're feeling, know what they're doing and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, I feel like we have to get strong. So um, we'll talk about strength cycles. Like, um, yeah. go ahead and talk about the uh, Pendlay strength cycle because I know that's something that everyone probably refers to and may use. And, uh, yeah, just go from there. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I would say, um, strangely, I – I definitely learned a lot, but I didn't really read a lot of information about Penlay until a couple years ago. And it was kind of eerie when I was reading it because I was like, man, these are a lot of like the same thought processes I have. Um, so like, if you kind of read, I don't know, there's a book, uh, the Penlay method, Seb wrote it. It's great. It's so good. There's so much education in there. Yeah. See, <laughs> it's such a good book. Um, so, you know, if you look like Penlay was constantly learning, that was such a big thing for him. So Um, Like I know he used like the Texas method when he first started and I don't know actually where that originated, but it was just your traditional five by fives. And as you know, like I love a good five by five. Um, I think it's a great stimulus. It's enough load. Um, If you read like Penlay talks about how it's, it's a low enough rep where you can get the load pretty high without, you know, really sacrificing form, but it's also enough that you can get a really good stimulus Um, and one of the biggest things that I think is underrated is like, just like your core and like muscular endurance through your midline. And so the amount of time it takes to do like a good set of five on back squat is teetering on the line of kind of muscular fatigue. So it's just good to be able to maintain that like trunk stability and rigidity for that period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so he was kind of like the, the Texas method where it's just five by fives. And then he talks about in the Pinley method, how he realized that people were like cheating their Wednesdays. And so they were like going lighter so they could go heavier on Friday. Oh yeah. 
And then, so he realized that the people who were like sandbagging Wednesday, because at first he got like pissed off. He's like, these people are fucking sandbagging their squats. And then they would like pop off on Friday. He was like, all right, maybe, maybe I should pay attention to what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, so one thing he did was he took Wednesday and made it more of a front squat day because it's like a limiting factor. So the load's going to be lighter. And then he would allow them to go heavier on Friday. So mine's, I would say, kind of a little bit of the opposite where I let you guys do more intensity um, on your squats on Monday. So that's when you have your reps, mm-hmm. like your rep maxes, and then more volume on uh your fridays so it's kind of the opposite wednesdays are as you know almost always front squats um another like kind of background is um caldeets with like his triphasic stuff mm-hmm. so if you read he kind of dives into the same thing to where he let me try to remember this he traditionally set it up with i think monday was like a, a high intensity friday was volume but he learned that because the athletes he were working with had a primary sport he was, they were trashed by Friday. So he kind of did something where Pinlay is where it's like flipped. So like, you know, if you think like you have higher volume snatches on Monday, but your squats are more intensity focused and then it's a flip on Friday to where you'll have more intensity on your classic lifts and then more volume on your squats. Um, so it's kind of just finding what works. Um, but I would say Pinlay, like, I don't know for any coaches, I think Penley is probably one of the best coaches for anyone to learn from because he learned from so many different systems. Yeah, exactly. And he, um, the cool thing about him was uh, also environment. Like he kind of, kind of like you, like welcome people to come over to stay at the house. And he'd cook for them. I've heard about yeah. that. Um, also, he would make like friendly competitions. Like, all right, whoever hits a PR, whatever, I'm buying dinner tonight. Or he'll put money on the line. Like, all right, if you hit this snatch, John, I'll give you $50 or something like that. And I always thought that was kind of cool, you know? No, actually me or Angelo Estelle and I watched an old Cal strength video and it was like Spencer Mormon, John North. I don't remember who else, but there was $500 and it could be like split up. And do you know what video I'm talking about? And it was like, you had to hit, you had to hit five singles at 90% on both lifts and whoever made all 10, um, however many people there were, they like split the money. Oh no. I read about stuff like that, but I didn't see the video. You got to send me the video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty cool. And some athletes are very financially driven. Um, actually, there was one day, the day that Mallory clean and jerked, she 13 or 15? She 13. I think she missed 15. But she hit, she's like super financially driven, which is like, okay, cool, whatever. Uh, she clean and jerked 110 that day. And then she was like, I'll give you $20 if you let me do 113. And I was like, all right, whatever, go for it. And then so she hit it into the training session. I'm in my office and she comes in, puts a $20 bill on my desk and goes, go buy yourself lunch tomorrow, B and pats me on the shoulder and walked out. And I was like, what just happened? (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I was just like, all right, Mallory. Okay. <laughs> That's super funny. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I feel like it will even like meets and stuff. Some people do like meets just to win the prizes at the end. Like, you know what? I really need this money. Like I need yeah. to make these lifts. <laughs> so like they'll get it done just to get that money. Yeah. It's pretty funny. I know. It's, I, yeah. It's like, amazing. yeah, it's like, I remember there was supposed to be some cash prize at a meet, like, um, you know, in Indiana, I think Dom was going to do it just for the money. And then once they got rid of the cash prize, he backed out. He's like, well, I don't really need he's to like, like, never mind. He's like, I don't need to put my body through this. Like, no, nah, I'm, I'm all right. 
I'm all right. I'm not going to do this. But this is funny. Just like those examples of being financially driven, like you said, and um, other like, you know, strength or squat programs. I know everyone's heard of small off. Like, what are your thoughts on those? I'm sure me and you've both done it. I know you probably put me through it in some sort of variation. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But let's go ahead and talk about it. Um, so Smolov, if there's, I don't know, this guy, Smurgay, Smurgay, Sergey, um, <laughs> like the most Russian name ever, uh, Smolov. And so the, like, the somewhat like dangerous thing about it is normally you try to find a balance between intensity and volume. And there is no balance in Smolov. It's just no. like getting your face shoved into the ground. Yeah. Like knee tendonitis, your back's going to get messed up. Like, it's just. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure if you were a full-time athlete and you weren't really focusing on the classic lifts, it would probably be great. Um, something I kind of picked up from Penlay was basing things off of a three rep max instead of a one rep max. Mm -hmm. And that's something we can get into more later, but there's a lot of like science that goes behind, like, especially like females and hormones and how we're actually more successful at threes than five or than ones or even fives, threes and fives. But I've run quite a few of my athletes through small of the way it's written, but it's based off of a beltless three rep max. Okay. So by creating a limiting factor of number one, it being beltless, like, so it's a lot harder to resort to poor movement um, when you don't have a belt on. And then a three rep max limits your, so let's say like your one rep with a belt is 180. But if I take your belt away and I make you do a three rep max, it's 160. Well, technically, you're still getting the same volume in, but by dropping that intensity, um, I'm able to keep you from injury, fatigue, CNS, like all of these things that could just get trashed. Yes. Because it's really it's really both that usually fucks people um, and not knowing how to balance them. So volume is great for most people for leg strength. Um, but when you tie intensity into that, like that's when people get hurt. So I've done that quite a bit. Um, that's honestly how granted Mario was like mid puberty, but he added like 23 kilos to his clean and jerk one summer. Oh, wow. Um, and it, yeah, he would think he was 16. Actually, Anna, Brie, and Mario were in the middle of like the modified small love. And I'd never not been able to get an athlete through a train through meet. Mm -hmm. So in my head, they were in like week eight of like a 12 week small love cycle. And I was like, hey, let's just hop in and do this local meet. Um, they all did terrible. Really? It was so bad. Yes. They were just fried. Like their legs were trashed. And it was funny because I remember watching Bree and Anna, I think, go like one for three on snatches. And I was like, I've made a mistake. Oh my gosh. I have made a huge mistake. And then I just like had to be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, it happens. Sometimes they're guinea pigs yeah. and they're great athletes, but you got to use them sometimes. And um, for, can you explain exactly just like real quick synopsis of like what small off is for someone who doesn't know and who's listening just so they can kind of follow along? Yeah. So yeah, if I can remember off the top of my head. So the first four weeks, the first four weeks are building the base and then there's like a down week. So it's like, it's like four by nine it's four days of squats it's a four by nine uh five by seven a seven by five and a ten by three so that it's insane like the volume is absolutely insane and the percentages are kind of crazy too like by the end of it you're doing sets of three ten sets of three at a hundred percent 
Yeah, yeah, I'm so looking like, up, I'm looking up right now. I'm like, yeah, yeah you're doing I have that. a spreadsheet <laughs> somewhere. Uh, so it's like it's like four weeks of like the rep scheme I just described, and if I remember right, I think there's like, uh, I don't know if it's like plyometric weeks that are tied in there. I would always pull those out. Yeah, I know. I remember what you're talking uh, about. And then there's like eight weeks of I think it's five fours, threes, and twos, maybe some sixes. I can't remember. I haven't run it in a while. Um, I've definitely like evolved a little. Yeah. Um, actually, I do have one athlete, RIP Connor. He's in the middle of small up right now. Um, <laughs> it's because he, he asked for it like, or what? I, he did. He was like, can I have a gnarly squat cycle? And I was like, dude, <laughs> yes. <That's laughs> like, hold my funny. beer, dude. I got you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty gross, but it's definitely a very popular squat cycle. Um, for anyone who wants to do it, I would definitely advise like run it beltless, run it off of three. There are also plenty of other ways to get your legs strong. What is what I thought was really cool, though, was when I did run small up on those three kids, um, we didn't front squat for three months. Oh, because wow. you're already back squatting four days a week. Yeah. And yeah. all and everyone I've ever run on it, like completely, their clean and jerks went up significantly with zero front squats. Oh, wow. Just because yeah. legs are getting strong. Super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you're still doing clean and jerks. Exactly. Um, but yeah, that's one thing that I was kind of like, huh, that's very interesting. Yeah. And then also just to go back to uh, your method of using small off and kind of implementing implementing it into a three rep max, whether it's a front squat or, or back squat and beltless, I think there's a good uh, way to think about it as in you're still getting the same stimulus, but you're decreasing the amount of load that you're putting on your entire body. So same, same stimulus that you're getting out, but just less load. Right. right. Make, yeah, making this, things the, harder than like making things harder without putting more weight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can make stuff super gross. I mean, I don't know how many athletes right now I have running. Um, actually, if anybody is doing the three, six right now, the three front slicks back and you're pissed about it, you can take it up with Ricardo Torres. Yeah. You, yeah. Take it up <laughs> with Rico. Cause Rico did it the last cycle, but it was like two, four. Mm-hmm. It was like three, six. And then the, no, it was two, four and the drops were three, six. Um, which that's actually a squat cycle we haven't really discussed. So I could be wrong, but my, my understanding is that originated with Richard Fleming, who's actually a coach here in Texas. It's called 713 and CrossFit actually made the squat cycle super popular. Um, I say super popular, but a lot of people still don't know about it, but it is the hardest thing I've ever done as a weightlifter. I actually don't do it to people because I don't want them to quit. Like it's that bad. So it's, if I remember right, it's based off your front squat, one rep max. But you do seven front squats right into 13 back squats. Mm. So that's traditionally how it's written. And it's like four sets at 65%. And you see it and you're like, what a joke, 65%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you do the first set and you're like, I absolutely hate everything. <laughs> because the way I describe it, it's like it's like hitting a wall like because you're front squatting. So you do the seven and then you hit a wall and you're like, oof, okay. And then you put it on the rack and you put it on your back and then you do 13 back squats. And it's like you just turn around and hit another wall. Um, But I would say it made me very mentally tough because the weight isn't heavy enough that you'll ever miss. Like you have zero reason to ever miss a rep on 713. Yeah. Um, But it's like 713, 612, 48, 36, 24, and then 1, 2. Mm, um, okay. It's, it's good. You need a lot of time. But anyway, right now I have athletes kind of running on a 
a modified version of it where it's three six. Yeah, um, you're taking a three six, and then you got the back down sets at the four eight. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I honestly, so, yeah. like, yeah, I was like so defeated, thinking like, ah, oh, I got these four by eight because I'm super tired. But once you did the percentage, like, it really wasn't bad. You just had to just do it, and then I think it's just used to getting just more reps in, even though just a lighter yeah. weight. Like you said, like, there's no reason why you should fail. It just sucks. Nope. Like, it just burns. It's just, it just, yes. <laughs> it just sucks. That's it. And sometimes you just, as a weightlifter, you have to learn how to, like, suck. But I will say the most muscle mass I've ever put on my legs or strongest my legs have ever actually gotten was from running 713. Okay, cool. Well, I'm excited to see it. I'm actually pretty surprised that like, um, I'm not as intimidated by the three plus six. Like as long as I can get the three, then the mm-hmm. six is fine. Like, yeah, I'll get the six. Yeah. And it's like, for me, it's like, let me just push for this heavy three and then let me just grind out these six. But like, yeah, exactly. yeah like, it's really not that scary, but it does suck. I'm not going to say it doesn't suck. Yeah, it yeah. Does. <laughs> no, it does. And then um, let's just roll down to the the last type of uh, well, kind of topics of different styles is like Bulgarian versus Russian. I'm sure like you've heard of it, you've seen it before with Iron Mind videos and stuff. What are your thoughts yeah. on like those two methods? I don't think I don't even think no one really uses those two anymore. Like it's not as popular, no. but it was like I feel like in the earlier 2000s it was. Oh, it was huge, but yeah. it was because you know that's you know when you see people are successful, you're like, well, what are they doing? Um, so, you know, I would definitely say a lot of what like Pinlay took away and I would say what like I've taken away. I've read yeah. quite a few of the old Soviet manuals. Um, it was just really big on like building consistency. But the one thing about the Soviets is they were very big on like position work, but they didn't really push the strength work because they were doing so many drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were able to get a stimulus just doing a shit ton of reps at 70%, which what Pinlay talks about that he realized was that it's not enough stimulus in our culture without drugs to get a stimulus. Um, and then, you know, the Bulgarian style, there's such like a common misconception behind it. So if you actually read about, uh, Ivan, the like Avijay of the coach, the whole concept behind the Bulgarian system was because he was actually a control freak. So he wanted his athletes to not have a life outside of lifting. So the reason he structured his programming, how he did, was so they would like wake up, they would eat, they would train, they were forced to take a nap. They would train, <laughs> or they would eat, train, take another nap, and then they would eat and train and go to sleep. But he made it so it was impossible for them to like go out, have a girlfriend, you know, because this was when only dudes were weightlifting. Yeah. And so it actually all originates from him being like super controlling. Oh my God. It's like hilarious. Like if you read about it, but it's, it was kind of like um, it's kind of like when you go to football tryouts like they just kind of try to make only take the strongest like the weak die mm-hmm. and so that's what i mean so ivan's nickname was literally the butcher because he would just cut people out like if you couldn't survive what he was giving see you later that's so wild. yeah you have a hun- hundred people that walk through the door and, and you get one olympian but you know you break 99 people well you got one olympian yeah so, you know, that's cool <laughs> And I think there is still, um, you know, a decent amount of coaches in the U.S. that that do program so much volume and so much intensity, maybe subconsciously with the same con, like the same idea. I don't know. Do you remember Misfit programming from CrossFit? Yes, I do. I do okay. remember that. That's kind of how it was. Where it's like, hey, if you survived Misfit, you'd probably go to the games. Yeah. But if you didn't, but you after would that, just go back to yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so kind of the same concept. 
Yeah, that's very interesting because I didn't. I had no idea. I just thought I was like, okay, let me just like, um, let's just freaking lift heavy all the time. Like, I don't know. Like, you just see like some things of like, what what are they doing that I could do? And it's mm-hmm. obviously like underlying things, but yeah. <laughs> and they didn't even like truthfully max out. It was like work to a heavy for that session. Sometimes it talks about how sometimes that would only be eighty percent. Yeah. It wasn't and and they literally went air quote heavy three times a day. Damn. So people that are like, oh, I'm just gonna be Bulgarian and max out every time. All right, well if you want to be Bulgarian, you gotta do it three times. Yeah. Day. Yeah. Like <laughs> And then everyone's like, yeah, no. I'm like, yeah, exactly. You can't do it. Yeah, it's not going to work. I mean, it's fun. Yeah, everyone wants to max out. It's not the smartest thing to do and stimulus. But as far as like the, it's funny because like the Russian style, they were like way calculated. Like they were probably the smartest with like technique and percentages, right? They were really dialed in on that. And I think a lot of people took away from the uh, the Soviet method and stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, with variations, like that was the, the Bulgarians, there was no variation, right? Yeah. It was just like snatch clean and jerk squat cool and then with the soviets they were like well i need to work on this one part of the lift how do i do that well what if i do this from the hip what if i do this from the hang what if i do this um and that's kind of where you know it says like the soviets were kind of like the the louis simmons of weightlifting where mm-hmm. they added so much variation because that was like louis whole thing was just adding variation to powerlifting. um so the soviets kind of did that but then they you know so it's so interesting how the Soviets and the Bulgarians were so different yeah. in like keeping it light, but doing a shit ton of reps or going really heavy and doing less reps. Um, but, you know, they were both successful in their own ways. Yeah. And then what is your thoughts like personally as on like how you took those two methods and did you kind of like take anything away from those two and make it your own or you just kind of learn as you were coaching and as you're an athlete, let it like experience through like you coaching and putting through people like you know we're talking about small and other things like that just develop over time or what is your yeah thoughts i mean on that? i'd say the biggest thing is just knowing your audience like knowing who you're coaching um you know i'm lucky that i'm in a position where a lot of the athletes that i coach i've coached for a long time so you know if you look at like you know the marquez kids like i think i've been coaching them for I don't know, five, six years, right? You look at like Eli, Steph, Kate, you know, even like you, like we're a little bit over two years. Like I've, you learn people and you learn your demographic and your audience and kind of how to program accordingly. And then it's always like when someone comes in, like when I started coaching Mallory, Mm -hmm. um, she was very successful under Travis. And I know Travis and I have like somewhat different thoughts about like going heavy all the time, like in this, And so with Mallory, I kind of had her sit, sat, she was the first high level athlete that came to me that I didn't develop. Yeah. And I was like, well, you tell me what works for you and I'll try to modify my systems around you just so we don't have like a weird lag period where we're figuring things out and you're missing out on teams. And she actually straight up was like, no, like I want to do what you do. Like, I don't actually want there to be any influence from before. And I was like, okay. Um, so, I mean, I think it's just figuring people out. I mean, there's obviously, you know, going heavy is important because it doesn't matter how many times you can hit 80%. If you don't know how to walk up to 101 or 95 or 92% and have the same confidence, it's pointless. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, cool. Well, yeah, but when you walk on a platform, you, you know, freak out. Okay. Well, that's not going to work. So 
it's finding the balance, but then also having athletes realize you don't have to go heavy all the time to be good at this sport. You just have to be confident and trust your positions and develop consistency. Um, so I guess kind of a little bit of everything. I mean, I've kind of found my own way of sorts, I guess. And it's definitely evolved a lot over time. I looked actually at Mario's program from 2017 and I was like, this is so bad. <laughs> like I had no clue what I was doing. Um, yeah. But I evolved and I learned. And so I think that's the most important aspect. And then sometimes I would write a cycle and be like, man, that was not that good. Like that didn't help. Um, and then sometimes you have a cycle, like, let's say, you know, I owe two, man, what everyone PR'd at least one lift. Yeah. I don't think like, anyone bombed either. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> nobody bombed. Literally. I got in the car Sunday and I was like, Nick, nobody bombed. And she was like, no. Like, I don't even think anyone went two for six. Like, we had a lot of five for six, four for six, but a lot of medals, like a lot of great performances. Um, same thing kind of happened after finals. And so I kind of then sit down and dissect the cycle that I wrote for that. And I'm like, okay, there's some magic sprinkled in here somewhere. Mm-hmm. I just have to find it. Um, so I think it's just learning, reevaluating, reading, asking other coaches, um, just, you know, always being open to changing your methods. Yeah, exactly. And I think what makes like separates you from everyone else is just like the having the access to you and the fact that you're able to, and open to talk to people. Cause like, let's be honest, like you're a pretty big name at this point and some people may get nervous to even like communicate with you, especially even if they're just an athlete. Like I was joking before we started this podcast, like, why am I nervous talking about coach? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think yeah, it's just, a, yeah, I think that you're just open and honest and, and like, uh, you're just a sponge. Like you just want to learn like everything. And I think it just takes two to tango, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't have any secrets. Like, I mean, I'll have coaches reach out to me, um, I had a pretty high level coach reach out to me and, and he was like, Hey, like, would you be open to like sending me some of your training cycles for like these four athletes? And I think I was like busy doing something. So he was like, Hey, I'm sorry. Like, it's okay. And I was like, Hey, now you're good, man. I was like, what do you want? I'll send you anything. Um, I'm not going to gatekeep my own success because yes. I think for me, like if I'm helping someone else be successful and I'm kind of pulling someone up, it forces me to also continue my own to keep moving up because I can't pull somebody up if I'm not also moving up. Yeah, exactly. But I think too many coaches don't want to grow and it could be subconscious. And so it's like, well, I don't want you to get on my level because then I'm going to have to go to another level. Mm -hmm. Whereas to me, like I want to surround myself with people that borderline make me uncomfortable to where they ask questions and they do these things that, um, Actually, Mackenzie, she's uh, Jenny's kid uh, and his best friend. So she started mm-hmm. lifting a couple months ago, and she asks questions that a lot of coaches would be uncomfortable answering. Um, <sighs> like it's it's strange, but it I love it because it like pushes me to like think. So one day she was like, she was like, "Why can I push press more than I can strict press?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" She was like, "Like why can I do more? And then why can I jerk even more than that?" I was like, well, like you use your legs. And she was like, so we like broke down strict press, having zero legs, mm-hmm. a push press, having a dip drive and then you lock out and then a jerk allowing you to drop under the bar. 
But to her, the limiting factor was how much someone could hold overhead. Because when she would see people miss a jerk, she'd be like, well, they miss it because they couldn't hold it. So then I explained, like, it's actually normally they, like, didn't drive the bar. It's a, it was more of a technical issue. Yeah. Like, it's not that they couldn't hold it. It's that they weren't balanced in the catch enough to hold it. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh. But I don't know many coaches that would feel comfortable, like, tearing that apart with a 17-year-old for 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, that's another thing, too. It's, like, that's another skill. In order to, like, break things down in simpler terms to someone on the opposite spectrums, I would say comparing it to a master's to like a very youth person, you got to break it down something that's super technical, something super simple, right? Like, right. That's another skill of being a coach, I feel like. And some people are yeah. just too lazy to do that. Yeah. And they just don't want to like maybe be wrong. Like I've had athletes miss a lift and they're like, what did I do? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I can sit here and try to come up with shit unless you have a video of it. I might, I might have been watching your feet and your timing was off. And I'm usually like, look, do another rep. I'll watch closer. You might make the same technical error. You might not, but like, we'll figure it out. Yeah. But no, I get being that. able to just say like, I don't know, actually, but I'll figure it out. Yeah, I get that. So I guess uh, we can come and uh, talk about how, like, let's dive deeper on how you specifically program. Like, what is your yeah. typical, like, you know, Monday to Friday? How do you structure things and what is your style? And yeah, go from there. Um, so I don't exactly even know where I picked up on this, but I kind of have the same idea. And for anyone who's been with me for long enough, they pretty much know roundabout what they're going to be doing like cycle to cycle. Like you never know what variation or how it's going to look or whatever. And that's one thing definitely with being an athlete myself is that um, I do definitely try to keep it fun. And I try to keep it something that like, even like I want to ride a cycle and look at it and be like, fuck, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. Like I want to show up tomorrow and do that day one. So normally Monday is always a snatch focus. So, you know, your CNS should be the most fresh um, from, you know, the weekend being off work, resting on Sunday Usually I have some sort of like technical clean thing where there's like a limiting factor, like a power or a dip. Um, Usually something overhead. So like power clean, uh, maybe a power clean plus push press or something like that. Maybe a power clean, a jerk. Um, Usually they're going to, you're going to pull and you're going to squat on Monday. Um, Might be a deadlift, might be a flat footed pool, might be a hovering pool. I do really like hovering pools because they force people to maintain positions Back squat is normally going to be like, um, you know, a rep max or something towards like a three or five. I rarely ever program more than fives. Um, And then when I think of programming, I think Monday, Wednesday, Friday first, and then Tuesday, Saturdays are kind of fillers. Mm -hmm. So Wednesday is definitely kind of the opposite where a snatch is going to be more technical, maybe a power, maybe a tempo, maybe a hip, something like that. Clean and jerk is normally not just a traditional one plus one because you're normally going to do that on Friday. So it might be like a two plus two or like a pool clean front squat jerk, some sort of complex. It has a limiting factor because of the difficulty of like the movements that are involved. So the percentage is going to be held back inherently. Yeah. Um, and then usually um, once again, like a pool or a dead and then front squats. And that's kind of just because we've already had so much, from Monday, Tuesday. So front squat's going to be a limiting factor, dropping the load, focusing more on your core stability. Um, Friday is almost always going to be your singles, right? We compete on, on Fridays and Saturdays, Sundays, mm-hmm. Thursdays, maybe usually. 
Um, or sometimes we'll do a complex. I'll be like, hey, work to a heavy flat-footed full plus snatch or um, something like that. Like it should be fun. Like that's one thing actually Trip had posted on his uh, story. I don't know if you saw it where he was like, why not heavy Saturday? Kind of was like, you know, you don't have to do it on Friday. Yeah. Which I, I can see it, but like the vibes are totally different here on Friday to Saturday. Okay. That like makes everyone's sense. here at the same time on Friday. Like Saturday is kind of like a, you know, we're here from nine to one, come when you want. So it's way more fun to do it on Friday. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, that's based off your model with like how your gym is set up. I know in the yeah. past for me, like I would Saturdays for me would be always a big Saturday from like right. before training with you because that's just kind of mm-hmm. how their gym was set up or whatever I was working with. And it was like a light Friday, you know, because maybe I had class or school. I was in college right. at the time. And then everyone would meet up in the morning on Saturday mm-hmm. and like max out. Right. And that's, I do have some athletes that I flipped it. Like I'm always open to like moving around and meet someone's life. Uh, But normally Fridays are singles. And then once again, maybe an overhead, a pull or squat, and that's going to be your more volume back squat. So it'll be based off your Monday. Um, Tuesday and Saturday is going to be more technical stuff. I do have athletes that only train three or four days. If an athlete trains three, they just get the Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah. If they train four, it's going to be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. And mm-hmm. then obviously five adds a Tuesday. But it's more technical stuff, more specific stuff, um, tempos, position stuff. Uh, posterior chain work is super big in weightlifting because we all are so anterior. You know, patellar tendonitis is so big and such a big problem. So being able to really get in your posterior chain um, – Maybe some accessories that are a little more time consuming, like sled pulls, um, maybe stuff like that. And then, you know, accessories every day. I try to give two things, maybe three, and I alternate, um, kind of depending on the cycle. Sometimes it'll be like upper body, lower body, core. Lately, I've been like something upper, something upper, something lower, and then some core. Yeah, yeah. Um, I try to shake it up a little just to make it like enjoyable. Yeah, I had a question with the uh, the posterior chain stuff because uh, I actually just had this question pop up in the gym yesterday because uh, okay. one of my buddies, he was having like knee pain and stuff like that. And then um, I think he was going to do some accessories. Like, oh, what should I do this? Uh, like it was like belt squats or should I do? Yeah, no, it was this. He's like, should I do belt squats with uh, lifters or with flats? And then I was like, okay. oh, do it flats and like sit back yeah. so you can get more posterior chain. But then like uh, someone's like, he, someone who walked in, I think it was Matt, he didn't know that he was talking about his knee was hurting. And he's like, I say lifters because you want to be in that position, like upright and work with the quads. And I, and I was saying, I was like, well, shit, maybe I'm doing it wrong. I don't know. It's like, maybe nah. I'll, I'll ask me tomorrow about like this. So like, yeah. I, do you program like uh, belt squats for posterior chain or do you, uh, po- uh, do you program belt squats for getting more quads and being upright and stuff like that? No. So in my opinion, we're in our quads enough. Uh, so that's what a lot of people don't really like. One of my favorite things is when people are like, uh, I'll be like, why do you wear a weightlifting shoe? I'm like, what's well, for mobility? I'm like, no, it's fucking that. <laughs> I was like, you wear a weightlifting shoe because if you think about like your shoe in the middle of it, so that would be like your center of mass and balance, which I could talk about for fucking hours. But um, <laughs> when you're weightlifting until you're in the overhead position, everything is in the front half of your shoe uh-huh. or like everything is, is forward. Yeah. So the reason we wear a weightlifting shoe is because the heel allows us to shift our center of mass where the bar is. Mm. That's the only reason. Like we wear it so we can be balanced because the entire lift is all about balance. Like when you see a lift 
that's like beautiful and it's perfect, they were balanced through the entire lift with the bar, like their center of mass with the bar and then was in the same place the whole time. So the point of a weightlifting shoe is actually to make you be anterior because the bar is always anterior until you're in the catch. But if you do everything correct from the start, you'll be perfectly balanced. So it's great, but it neglects your posterior chain, which is why people hurt their backs. Um, we get knee tendonitis, like almost all weightlifters hamstrings are super, super weak. Mm -hmm. So I program belt squats for posterior chain because it allows you, you take the core out of it and you can just focus on almost sitting into your heels a little more and getting that. Um, that's why I program sumos because people are like, why don't we do conventional deadlifts? I'm like, well, the issue is when you do a conventional deadlift, you'll probably move it like you do a clean. Yeah. I can't get it out of my head. I'll do it like a clean. See? So a sumo is so different. You can't do it like a classic lift. Yeah. So you're almost forced to get in your posterior chain. Um, that, I mean, man, wall sits, uh, front foot elevated split squats, like posterior chain work. If I could only had to pick, I mean, it'd be hard between posterior chain and core work, but I would say posterior chain work. If I could only pick one thing to focus on with an athlete's accessories, it would just be posterior chain work. That's it. Yeah. Because I, not enough of us use, use it. Yeah, unfortunately. And it's super like we, it's super important. Otherwise it just break down. Like I remember doing GHDs. I remember the first time I tweaked my back two years ago, you had me doing before I even started training, touching a barbell. It was like four sets of 10 GHDs, like over and over and pause at the top and stuff like that. Doing source and holds for a minute long before I even touch a bar. Yeah. And that literally yep. healed me when I thought I was like broken and had to go get surgery or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I've learned, so we bought, um, the West side reverse hyper, which mm -hmm. for anyone who's an athlete or a coach out there it is super cheap. It's like 400 bucks and it is a small footprint. It's like a really nice reverse hyper. And so, I've like sat around 67, 68 for so long. And then I cut down to like 61, 62. I just feel better. But when I get smaller, the first thing that always hurts is my back. Mm -hmm. And so I like cut the weight and then my, my, my QL and the left side of my back started hurting. And I started just doing a three by 10 of back extensions and reverse hypers every single day. Superset it takes like four minutes. I've had zero back pain since I started doing that. Yeah. Just like building that trunk rigidity and like muscular endurance because everything we do involves your midline. And that's kind of crazy how that all is. Like, all right, just like you don't really think that that would work. Uh, what do you feel like uh, you said you would always take like doing like posterior chain work versus like midline or core work? What would you be? What would you have your like preferred like core work that you'd have athletes do? Um, I mean, I really like circuits just because you can get stuff done in less time. Um, it also kind of makes you just kind of like have to move. Um, I definitely love GHD sit-ups just because you can get a full range of motion. And because your lower half is essentially fixed, you can just get way more like articulation through your midline. Um, I recently started programming something called GHD around the worlds. I don't know if I've given them to you yet. They're pretty terrible. No, that um, sounds scary. You essentially, yeah. So you're essentially like you're doing a GHD sit-up, but as you go down, you essentially just like, like, articulate your torso like down and then back the other way it lights up everything like your back your obliques like your abs um so i would say mostly i love ghd work um back extension source and holds ghd sit-ups russian twists in a ghd for any of my athletes that don't have a ghd we normally work around and do other ways um but that's definitely 
probably my favorite just because you can isolate your upper half by like fixating the bottom. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, what is your thoughts on just the, the crunching versus, versus like isometric? Because I know like my like education in school with like all that stuff, they were so against like flexion and all that stuff and just wanted to be focused more on isometric stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a time and a place. I think isometrics are important because they build a different kind of like endurance through positions. But our sport moves through a range of motion. And because we're weightlifters, we move through every single plane in like, what, 0.8 seconds? Mm -hmm. It's crazy. So I definitely think isometrics are important because you can just like hold one position. Um, I really like also for anyone who has any back injuries, the McGill 3. So doing it's it's bird dogs, curl ups and side planks. Mm -hmm. And you kind of hit everything with those. I do really like planks. Uh, I like plank pull throughs. So almost having an isometric, but adding a movement in the isometric. I do really like those. Kind of like an Uh, anti-rotation or extension type movements. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think one time I read a study and it was like kind of shitting on anti-rotation work. (laughs) And it was kind of like, yeah, but we do rotate. So why would we do anti-rotation? I'm like, well, because if you rotate too much, you will get injured. So you kind of, by doing anti-rotational work, you like, you get breaks. Mm-hmm. And so you get that place to where you're like, okay, I'm not supposed to go past right here. Um, but I think just like having variation, like doing things different ways, being weightlifters, I don't really think we often move in enough planes of motion. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we need to, we need to get the joints lubricated. We need to move around. Like, I think that's yeah. another thing. The reason why, I kind of want to just do be more active a lifestyle in general, like doing pickleball on mm-hmm. Sunday, nothing too crazy. And then just only one time a week at least. And then right. um, just like, you know, my Tuesday workout like today will just be it's a light workout, more technical. But I just add in an extra optional day that I could throw in on Tuesday or Thursday, depending on mm-hmm. my schedule, which for yeah. now, I'm not going to lie. Like, I knock on wood anywhere. I feel, all right, right here. <laughs> like I've there been like go. injury just the longest I've been injury free because it's been like more of a like a. Just more maintaining everything. Like anything I start to feel like outside this bubble where I know something's going to happen or reel it back or just kind of just moving a lot more versus like only rest day, just like being a cocoon like in my house right. watching TV and, you know, laying it, you know, sitting on the couch or something like that. Yeah. I mean, everything you do can make you better at being an athlete. Yeah. Um, like it doesn't matter. Like even just, I mean, one thing is Aaron's knees were always bugging. Mm-hmm. Right. And granted, like we've definitely built a lot, but he started helping with the UTSA football team. And so now he's on his feet, which most people would be like, oh, that's so bad mm-hmm. um, for a couple of hours a day. And he literally yesterday did a eccentric three rep back squat at like 280. <laughs> and he was like, I don't know how to say this, but like my knees have not hurt in so long. Yeah. Like, I haven't wanted to say it because it like, you know, like superstitious, but he was like, I feel really good. And so we like talked about it. I was like, well, what do you think it is? So I think too many people are like, Ooh, no, like that'll, I can't be active. That'll take away from my weightlifting. Yeah. Or maybe you'll just build a higher tolerance to movement if you just move more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's definitely a balance between just like, just being healthy overall. That's going to translate over your weightlifting versus just like only weightlifting do all this and then you're just sedentary everywhere else but one of the topics i really wanted to to uh ask you because you have so many amazing female athletes is how do you 
program percentages or anything like that, like male versus female? How do you like, yeah, how does that work? Um, so there are some things like without getting like super in depth, there's a really yeah. good article on bar on Barbend and it talks about just like physiological differences between males and females. So some of the things is like men have a lot higher rate of like their fasting blood glucose. So like if you fast in the morning and both of us do, your blood sugar is going to be higher than mine, but females have a higher uptake. So essentially like for lack of better words, females are more efficient at uptaking glucose into their body. Mm. So in a shorter time frame, they recover faster. And that also ties into like estrogen receptors um, because we have more of them. We also have more, uh, it's like a one to four ratio. We have more fast twitch muscle fibers. So females are actually set up to do more volume, just ah, physiologically yeah. speaking, mm -hmm. which is very interesting. Um, men also just move more load. So you know, for you, a one rep max is going to take more out of you than it would for me. And because of all of the like glucose and all of that stuff, females are also better actually at like a three rep max. It's way more accurate because mm -hmm. they're able to recover faster through the set because of that uptake. So, I mean, females are definitely able to handle more volume, especially smaller females. I have a pretty good range. Um, like I have a really good 49 out in Florida. And then, you know, I have all the way up to like Deb, who's an 81, who's also extremely talented. She just got silver at AO2. And I have mm -hmm. such a good mix the whole way through. So, I mean, females, for lack of better words, are a little more resilient. Um, they can handle higher percentages normally. And they're also usually smarter. Like if I give them a percentage range, they're going to be more intelligent about hitting a smaller percentage and getting the reps in um, just like inherently. Like I think I've only ever had to get upset with one female ever for going off programming. Um, I love all of you, but I've had to yell at you all at least once, all my boys, at least one time. <laughs> and it's, it's just, I mean, you're just different, right? Yeah, like exactly. You, you, you have that testosterone and you have that. And so like, it's way like, I don't, you just like want to go heavier more often. And I think females tend to more understand, like, I just need to put in the reps and I need to build consistency. Like, I don't mean to say we're smarter, but sometimes. I mean, um, well, let's just be honest. They're more like calculated and more dialed in. And if you want to look like compared to this parabolic periodization, it has like those three types of athletes talking about the yeah. Zen athlete, the fragile athlete, yes. and the meathead. Right. Like nine times out of 10, it said like all dudes are like the meatheads. You know what I mean? Like, 100%. That's just how 100%. we are. That's how we're wired. <laughs> like, I don't have to... I don't know. It's so, I would say the programming is like a little different. Like females do have to go overhead more often just because inherently we're not as strong, um, you know, and they're way more prone to have like wrist and elbow injuries. But I would say like the coaching aspect is also super different. Like with yeah. females, I'm more like, cause I coach so many just like badass females and I'm more like hyping them up. Like they have imposter syndrome, like, and they're just like, you know, they don't feel like they belong. And, sometimes it's hard being like a strong female in the world because we're kind of told to be more feminine and whatever. So times my job is to just be like, no, fuck everybody. You're a badass and you go be one. Mm -hmm. um, and it's never really, you know, I, I definitely would say I get more, I don't know if I would say I get more like effort out of my females that I coach. Um, I think because they have to, because they're not as strong. Like they don't have this huge strength reserve. Like one day I asked Bryn, um, I had a male, I'm not going to say who it is, who Clarked a clean. And 
I got like super pissed off. And then I told myself like, just chill, like it's fine, whatever. And then a couple of days later, I was like, hey, Bryn, I have a question. She's like, what's up? I was like, would you ever miss a lift for lack of effort? And she was like, never. But I think it's just because we almost like have to try harder because we're just not as strong. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one time, I mean, Josiah, uh, my Houston coach, like, man, one time I was in Houston and I crawled up his ass because he like clarked a snatch and I literally like got in his face and then he made it. But sometimes it's like with guys, I feel like I kind of have to like poke more if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and kind of like get them like, Oh, you want to be a big dog? You want to like go heavy? Well, okay, come on. Here's your time. Like, let's go heavy. Yeah. Um, so I think the, with females, there's a lot of almost like, not really, I would say their mental health, but kind of just like keeping them grounded and like keeping them like, Hey, like you are doing the right things. It's okay. If you miss a lift, like we're, we're still moving in the right direction. Whereas with males, like think about like you and Justin, how much I really impressed on you guys leading up to AO2 just to build consistency. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey guys, let's just don't even worry about going heavy. Just be consistent. And both of you did incredible. Like that's an, like a testament to where if you just ingrain motor patterns and you trust it, you'll hit the lifts. Big things happen. So it's always just, it's different. It's, it's, and I love it. And I love all my athletes in their own special ways, but I definitely can't ever coach some people. Like I coach other people. Like I can't ever, you know, like Aaron is someone who will like really never go off programming. Um, but like, if he did, he probably had a good reason. It's like when you snatched, uh, what was it? 15 off the blocks. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't even really like upset. I was just like, I mean, did you miss? And you're like, no, like, I would say you were someone that, um, like, I don't really, I don't know if I've ever really gotten upset with you. I don't. No, I think in the beginning, I think I was more rogue. In the beginning, I was more rogue because I don't think I, in the past, I would just always do that and I thought it was okay. You know what I mean? Like a remote athlete. I was like, oh, this is, Mm -hmm. I'm a remote. So I would just like, you know, know, and I think it was a trust too. Like in the beginning, you know, obviously you're still filling things out. Yeah. Right? Like 100%. But I will say if anyone's, oh, go ahead. Good. Whatever you're going to say. No, you go. Oh, I was just going to talk about the opposite because I was talking about like male versus female and you coaching male versus uh, female. Um, if anyone was curious about, cause I get this asked a lot. It's like, Oh, you have a female coach as your coach, blah, 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 blah. And like, sometimes mm-hmm. people just genuinely want to ask. And I think personally, like me going into, it, I never thought of a gender. It was always just like whatever fit and to see if it works. And going from having two male coaches going to my, you're my third coach and it's been the longest and you're a female. Not once have I ever like thought, Oh, cause she's a, a female that, like, she's not the best coach for me, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's like, who's the most qualified? Who I vibe with the most? And I just trust you. And I love the fact that there's no competition on some weird male-to-male stuff because that yeah. happens. I've had it both, unfortunately, yep. where it's like, it's this weird vibes because, like, they're a guy and I'm a guy and I'm getting stronger and all this stuff. But And there's never a competition between, like, us, you know, as, like, mm-hmm. just lifting-wise. But, yeah, I love it. Plus, I don't know. It's cool. I like it. It's different and it just works out that way. So if anyone is curious, that's kind of like how I feel about having a female coach. Yeah. I think it's just like finding balance and finding like the role that you play in that person's life. Yeah. And so being a coach and I think it's, I, this sounds weird, but I feel like there's certain aspects that are easier being a female. Like you definitely like, 
man, at AO2, I think most of the time I was the only female in the back room, you know, and that's pretty normal. And I don't even notice it. Like I went to, when I went to Cuba, it was so cool. So there's like this Norway has this tiny little white lady who's their coach. And she came up to me and she was like, I just, she like hugged me. She's like, that's just so amazing seeing another female back here. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. (laughs) So cool. Um, But I think sometimes as a female, you're almost able to like, (sighs) there's certain things and it really didn't click for me until I was at nationals. And one of Spencer Arnold's athletes uh, was wanting to take 99 on their last cleaning trick. It was a girl. And I was like, Spencer, just load a hundred. And he was like, she wants 99. And I was like, tell her to stop being a pussy and just do a hundred. And he goes, Brittany, you can say that to someone, but I can't. <laughs> and I was like, damn, like I never really thought about that. Like I can get an Aaron or Jacob or Harley and get in their face and be like ripping them up and down. And they're not going to, nothing in them will want to hit me. Yeah. But like, if a dude did that, like imagine if Christian got in like Jacob's face, Jacob would knock him out. <laughs> or at least want yeah. to yeah oh yeah he, like, and so, he'd be so mad i think you can like if you are a, a female coach and you have like this like ability like if you're inherently like a type a assertive person but you also know how to tap into like i hate to say motherly but like that softer side you have this whole spectrum of like who you can be and it's all genuine but you know like it's Man, what meet was it with you where I was kind of like, hey, like, I need you to kind of just fucking figure it out and we need to do it. And I can't remember what meet it was, but I remember there was a meet where you were kind of like not feeling it. That's probably and last I year's I AO2. Just, I think that's when I freaking. I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was when you bombed on Snatch and you were kind of just like checked out. Yeah, it was. And I like, I think it was like the only time I've ever kind of gotten your face. And I was like, well, guess what, Corey? It's fucking halftime, dude. And you lost the first half. And there's not shit you can do about it, but you can come back here and go smack a big ass clean injury and make every single person remember you for winning a gold medal. And no one will remember you bombed out. Yeah, exactly. Like, nobody will remember that. Yeah. So being able to do that and just be like, hey, figure it out, get it together. There was one time, uh, actually AO2, Crystal Pittman was kind of like not really feeling it. And I think this is like maybe one of the only times I've kind of gotten into one of my female athletes face. And I was like, I don't fucking care. Like, we're here. We're going to figure it out. I don't care if you're having a bad day. You're going to go out there and you're going to lift. And she literally was like, yes, ma'am. Like, you know, army, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then sometimes, like, you know, you end up, like, holding someone in the back room when they're crying. Yeah. Like, I don't know how many male athletes that have had a bad day and I'm able to, like, appeal to that softer side and then they feel comfortable with showing their emotions. But I think as a job, as, as a coach, your job is to be who that person needs so they feel comfortable being who they want to be inherently. But like, if I'm ripping into someone when they bomb out and they just want to fall apart, they're not going to. Yeah. So it's like finding the balance, but it is very different. And I would say it is kind of like, I can classify, like, I also coach a certain demographic. Like I coach a lot of higher level athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I coach a lot of type A men um, who are very okay with the female taking charge. I coach a lot of very type A women who are cool giving up control. So I have like the luxury, I guess I could say, of coaching who I want um, because I have coaches under me. 
Um, but there are some athletes that in the past I've struggled to relate to because if I give everything and you don't give me at least like 80%, I don't mm-hmm. really want to fuck with you. Exactly. I always say that like, like even when people are struggling and may have questions and some reason they come to me and I'm not saying who, but like just in general, like people who are like, yeah. they're like, oh, like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I was like, B is the type of person to meet you halfway. You got to go 50, 50. Like if you're not communicating with her, then she can't help you. But then if she feels like she's doing too much and you're not giving enough, then like why, you know, then there's going to be some like discrepancies. Like you got to be able to give as much as you're going to get back. Right. That's just how it works. Yeah. Like, I shouldn't have to tell someone, like, hey, I need you to submit videos (laughs) in True Coach. I need you to do your job so I can do my job. Like, I shouldn't have to do that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm (laughs) – Yeah, and I also, like, have to meet people where they are, right? Like, Lane Palm has never filled out his True Coach in his entire life. And I have to harass him to send me videos. And he texts them to me. And most people, if they text me videos, I'd be like, put them in True Coach. But I can barely even get him to send me videos. So when he texts them to me, I'm like, sick, cool. I have something. Yeah. So it's just meeting people. But like, don't be upset that you're not getting better when you're not doing the bare minimum. Like if you're not following your program, Mm -hmm. if you're not communicating any alterations that you need, if you're not at least taking a couple videos a day and submitting them, it's not on me. Yeah. Like it's one thing if you're checking every single box and you're still not getting better, that's on me. But most of the time I can have a conversation with an athlete and just be like, I mean, one of my favorite things to ask people is what do you need from me for you to be better at doing your job? Yeah. And then nobody, everyone's like, yeah, no, it's just on me. And I'm like, okay, so do your part, please. I actually had an athlete recently. We had a conversation about his training and he said um, pretty much that he felt like if I was more invested So he like comes outside of team training hours, doesn't really submit videos. I love him as a human, but he was like, I feel like if you were more invested in my training, I would be more invested in my training. And my like immediate response was like, I kind of got like pissed off. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, you know what? This is a person who's communicating to you what they need. So instead of having an ego and getting pissy, why don't you just try to meet him where he's at? And I did for the last couple of weeks and it's been better. Yeah. And so sometimes it's just like realizing some people need a little more sometimes. Yeah. And it's, and it's okay, you know, to just give a little more of yourself understanding you might not get it back. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And and like, it takes a skill and I, I want to, I'm probably going to make a podcast talking strictly on how to be a remote athlete and what that is. And you might be on there for a second episode too. Cause I think I, yeah, I talked to you good. about it, but, um, but uh, I guess um, to close things off, I have two questions. Um, I'll just start with the one is what advice do you have for like new coaches who want to get better at programming or what to do and start out? Like, how do they be successful? And then the following question would just be, uh, what, like, you know, what do you basically have in the future that you're looking forward to? I mean, for new coaches, like being good at this is hard. Um, you have to give a lot more than you've probably given to anything else. But what you give is what you will get back. So if you go above and beyond for your athletes, if you you show up to the meets, right? You make the drive, you you answer the occasional late night text. Um, that's where it starts. And too many coaches, I think, focus on like marketing or like 
trying to get people. And it's like, dude, if there's anything I've learned is if you just focus on what's in front of you, if you just focus on your athletes, more people will come because people have friends. And so if, you know, one person joins and you know, you, you're a really good coach, you communicate, you give them what you can, and you just focus on what's in front of you. It's like, you know, the whole concept of like focusing on being a farmer and not really a hunter. Um, just there, you will get more people and you will get better. And it just takes time. Like it's, it's very difficult making a living coaching weightlifting. Yeah. Um, but if you go above and beyond what anyone else is, one of the things I told someone recently, I'm like, every single room you walk into, you should make a decision to be the hardest person, the hardest working person in that room. And if you do that, every single time you step in a room, you'll do big stuff. But like you that. also have to keep step. You have to keep stepping in bigger rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think it was like 21. Uh, this is when Camargo was my coach. And I was in the training hall and he walked into the room and I felt the energy change. And it was like someone had walked into the room and he like immediately commanded the room. And I remember being like, that's fucking cool. Damn. Like that dude just walked in and it like, I don't know. It just, it was like a shift. Yeah. Um, and that kind of like, that's something that like, I've kind of, people have said that about myself. Like when I walk in, like I kind of like command a situation and that all starts just from like work harder than anybody else. Like if your athletes are doing something like they're setting up for a meet or they're, you know, building stuff. Like I was doing my best right behind Steph to build this place. Didn't really know what I was doing. I was like the assistant to the assistant. Yeah. But if you work hard, your athletes will work hard too, but like, don't expect things out of your athletes that you don't do yourself. Like if you can't even like, if you're a young, able body, you should be training. Exactly. You should be grinding. You should be training three to five days a week. You should do your accessories. You should follow a program. Um, because if like, if my athletes see me training, they are way less likely to make excuses about their own shit. Like I'm a, I'm a student, I'm finishing my degree. Like I own the whole business. Like I coach bazillion people. If I can put in four days a week, you can put in four days a week. And so I think that's probably, I would say my biggest advice is just like work really hard at everything you do and you'll get there. Exactly. Well, there you have it. If you guys are listening and inspiring, uh, aspiring coaches, just work harder than anyone else's and it'll pay off. Right? Like it's, it sounds simple, but you just got to put in the work, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds way more simple. Than it is. And then, <laughs> I would say for the next, I mean, I've never really set like one year, three or five year goals. I mean, I have specific athletes that we have goals. Like Estelle is going to, we're going to Switzerland in like three weeks and that's sick. Cause she's like, she's also my best friend. And so it's cool. We're like going to Europe together. Right. That's yeah. sick. That's cool about like being a younger coach and coaching people that are like close to you. You're like also home. It's like, you're my, definitely my guy, best friend in the whole world. Right. And so yeah. that's like makes it easy because you want to be around your athletes too. Um, you know, Aaron, we're just, dude, he's training so hard. I'm telling you, the next time he steps on a platform, he's going to pop off. I can't wait. Um, it's, it's crazy what he's been doing. Um, so that's crazy. I mean, he did a snatch EMOM last week and he did all of his reps in 10 minutes in between like 155 and like 170. It was crazy. He snatched, uh, he snatched 175 on Friday, like nuts a lot of stuff is going on that's not on social media oh yeah um (laughs) but i mean you know we have states in a couple months i think we already have like 60 people signed up 
we won last year. So, you know, the goal is to win this year. Oh, yeah. Um, AO, fi- AO Finals is coming up, you know, hopefully looking to bring home. Um, you know, we won AO1, we won AO2. So I'm going to try to lock up that finals trophy too. Um, but more than anything, like, man, it's all about people. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm developing humans and making them better and making them just like better when they're outside of the gym, it all carries into the gym. So, you know, just like just making a difference, right? Every day, just being a better version of myself so I can help other people be a better version of themselves. Um, but I mean, yeah, just same stuff, right? It doesn't really change a whole lot just because something happens. Like, you know, AO2 passed and it's like, all right, we got finals coming up. Exactly. Um, We're always pushing forward, you know? Yep. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. I, I appreciate your time, Brittany, for a busy life coming in and talking to me. And I know we talk all the time, but be able to talk on the podcast finally. And um, I know. <laughs> where can we? Where can people find you? Follow you for Instagram and stuff like that, or social media. What do you use? Um. So my Instagram is uh, slimfix64. It's been the same thing since like 2016, and at this point, I just don't think I'll ever change it. Uh, so, you know, if anybody has any questions, if there's any coaches out there that just want advice, I'm always usually down to hop on a call. Do some, I do some coaching mentorship. Um, you know, you can also follow Bear. Actually, now uh, I've given up the reins for that. So Eli, one of our OG, our G boys, uh, he runs that. So that's super cool. So if you see all that super dope videos and stuff that's coming out, it's all him. Um, but yeah, that, our website, or if you're in San Antonio, you want to get a session in, you're always more than welcome to come drop by. There you have it. Well, thank you so much, and I'll talk to you later. All right, bye.